dig this. First 125, Moto here from Grundle. Kingsley turns that five sideways. Brian, the gate is down. This is a sharp left-hander. Who's going to shot? Looks like Darcy Lange on that Richmond Gallon Kawasaki gets the jump. That's where it all started. Big MX Radio, brought to you by Justified Cultures, is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. Fly racing, Bill's Pipes, W Wheels, Maxima USA, Moto Ice Wrap, 100% Goggles, and Moto Stuff make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Fly Racing Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by Justified Cultures. If you go to Just Justified Cultures today and put in discount code BIGMX17, you'll receive 30% off your bill. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we've got none other than Matt Shu. Matt, how's it going? Ah, good. How are you? I'm not doing too bad. It's Brad Gebhardt calling. Uh, what's uh, what's going on uh, this beautiful Tuesday afternoon? Oh, absolutely nothing. Had a uh, had a long night last night with the the one and a half year old, and um, then went for a mountain bike ride this morning. About kicked my butt, so I'm uh, I'm I'm laying around right now. <laughs> just just waiting on me. That's right, waiting on you and trying to get it in before that one and a half year old gets back here. Fair enough. Well, uh, hopefully we can we can uh, do exactly that. Really excited to have you on, man. Um, it's uh, it was a, it was a request that I got from um, Jason Assad about a month ago when you were headed off to uh, I guess about two months ago now when you were headed off to Loretta Lynn's and uh, wasn't able to connect with you then. But uh, once I saw that you were uh, in line to go to Silver Dollar, I had to get your uh, get your thoughts on some things. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, gladly. Uh do so and uh yeah Saad's a, a good dude he's he's taken care of me over the last few years and we've come back in contact with each other so pretty cool awesome man well uh let well i want to kind of run the whole gamut right from uh your, your your first moments on on two wheels right up to uh uh racing uh 125 uh supercross with uh from from 93 all the way up to uh 01 yeah um yeah, actually, I raced Supercross all the way up to '05. Um, oh, really? I... Moved, yeah, I moved up and rode a lot of 250 stuff at that point. So it's probably and I didn't make a lot of mains. After that. <laughs> there's, there's not a lot on the uh, on the net about my results from that point on, probably. Okay. But uh, but yeah, I uh, my dad raced when I was when I was younger, so that's kind of how I. I got into it and kind of grew up around it, around it a little bit and was always wanting one and was given the, uh, the deal that you got to go out and ride your bicycle and without the training wheels. And then we'll, we'll look at getting you a motorcycle. So I, okay. Went out and learned, learned how to do that that day. And and that Christmas there was a PW 50 under the tree and, uh, I began riding it. I guess I was about five and, um, 
started racing in 82 when I was six. And, uh, I think like, I think probably my fifth race was the qualifier for Loretta's <laughs> and, and that was the first year that they had Loretta's. So we, uh, went to that in North Carolina or South Carolina and qualified in that and went on to Loretta's and that was where it all began. Got, got crazy after that. <laughs> So what was uh, what was the landscape like for you? Uh, you, you? You're born and raised in Georgia, correct? Yep. So uh, who were some of the guys that you were banging bars with uh, as, as you learned the sport and, uh, and fell in love with it? And uh, and um, kind of what was the relationship between you and your father like as a as a racing team, so to speak? The fact that uh, like uh, moto dads can be can can be great and they they can be not so great. Yeah. Yeah, I was um I was fortunate. I had one of the good ones. Um my dad's awesome. He still still is still part of my racing, you know, full bore. So it's uh you know, it's something that it's been a part of our lives for forever now and uh it's hard to get away from it. But um but yeah, I grew up racing, you know, here in Georgia the one when I started there wasn't too many wasn't really anybody that's racing now that was ra- racing then and the fifth you know when i started on pws um went to loretta's for three years in a row and then in 84 was my last year at loretta's on a on a 50 and it was me and jeff dement from texas um i don't know if you know that name or not but yeah, of course, uh, yeah. he uh he, he won and i got second then went to the minios that year and and i won and he got second so that was kind of who, who I was battling that year. That was really the first, I guess you could say, serious year of racing. Um, and then we, you know, moved up to the '65s, and or I guess it was '60s then, not '65s. And at that point, then I started racing with uh, Ezra Lusk, um, and then there was, you know, a handful of other, you know, local guys that were all pretty fast around here. Uh, the Georgia Georgia local scene was pretty big at that time. I mean, all the races had a pretty good group of riders, you know, fast kids. And I remember Loretta's back then used to have a lot of Georgia riders in every class and, and doing good. And now that's kind of went away. wayside. <laughs> There's not, not too many, not too many Georgia, you know, true Georgia uh, residents that, that make it to Loretta's much less do well up there anymore. So. So, uh, like, how how often were you banging bars with guys like uh, Ryan Reynolds, and uh, even uh, going down into Florida and seeing uh, seeing how you stacked up against kids like uh, Chris Brown? Yeah, Ryan, uh, Ryan and I, we were we were good buddies. We actually, you know, I'd go to his house and stay during our Christmas breaks and stuff from school, and so we, you know, we raced just practically every weekend. Ezra would come. He'd probably be at a couple of races a month that we would go to. And then, but yeah, me and Ryan and uh, a couple other guys like Brian Raymond, Nathan Bissett, they were all, you know, local guys that never really, you know, made that next step. But, uh, you know, Ryan and I both turned pro about the same time and raced some supercrosses together. And then he he went on to, got out of racing and uh, is living out in Vegas now. But, um, but yeah, then I, we didn't get down to Florida too much. You know, I'd go down for the mini O's and, and, uh, yeah, I'd always run into Chris Brown there. I know actually Chris Brown was, uh, was in the 50 class the year in 84 that I got second at Loretta's. I think Chris may have, may have gotten third. 
Not that particular class. That was Chris Allen that got was in fourth that year. Uh, I didn't see Chris yeah. Brown. Yeah, yeah, okay. On the yeah, also helpful uh, vault on uh, racerx.com. Um, yeah. But uh, no, it, it was, uh, it was a, a, a budding um, uh, culture of motocross in the, uh, in the 80s, and, uh, and, and it was, it was really, really interesting to see, and uh, cool to see you eventually uh, came back to uh, Loretta Lynn's after a long uh, professional career, and, uh, but always on different motorcycles year to year, man, uh, when it, like from, from uh, you're on Yamahas to start, you're a Kawasaki kid on 60s, and then uh, back to Yamahas on the, on the 80s, and then uh, Kawasaki's again, you're, you're all over the place. Yeah, I never, I never got a lot of support. Um, in the early years, uh, there was a Yamaha shop here in uh, in Atlanta called Yamaha Dorville, and um, their sons raced, and one of them actually raced with me for a little while, and they they kind of actually got out of it. But the the dad was cool and ran, owned the shop, and he actually was the first one to give us some support and hook us up with. Uh, 60, uh, and then, you know, once I moved to the 80s, he would, uh, take care of us on the 80, and usually, you know, we would just race it and, and give it back, and they would sell it. Um, you know, so that was awesome. That was, you know, a big help. I, I had, um, my mom's, uh, mother and father and grandparents, they were, they were pretty involved in my racing, so they helped out, you know, with some of the bills and buying some bikes here and there, but, yeah, I, I kind of always got o- overshadowed, I guess, and uh, in the support department. Uh, my family, I guess, wasn't real outgoing and up there, you know, talking and, and schmoozing and, and doing, I guess, the, the necessary stuff that it takes to get those rides. But, you know, a lot of them back then went to more of the guys out west, you know, that, that raced more of those races that those guys were at. You know, I would usually only get to Loretta's and the mini O's and that was about the only time, you know, the factory saw me race and I would usually, you know, beat most of their guys and then do well, but I still kind of got overlooked. So it is what it is, but yeah. So I kind of, I kind of jumped around some brands just trying to find the, what was best that year and who, who, you know, locally was, was willing to do some, do some help. Um, I know on a, Went to Hondas. I was riding for a uh, Freewheel and Honda here, also in Atlanta, and they were they were pretty heavy into the racing. So they they were help they helped me out. And I think that same year they actually helped Ezra out too because he was in between um, kind of in between factory rides that year. But uh, but yeah yeah I was kind of all over the place on brands. So I, I spent most of my pro career on Suzuki. So once I got once yeah. I turned pro, I, I stayed on stayed on Suzuki's for the most part. Now, was that a uh, a local dealership back uh, back home where you're from, where you had support from, or was that uh, through uh, Suzuki USA? Uh, no, it really wasn't much help through Suzuki USA at all. Um, it was always through you know, local dealers. Uh, I was fortunate enough throughout my career, my pro career, I, I would land a few outside sponsors from, you know, just local business guys that, that, you know, loved racing and wanted to be a part of it and, you know, took care of me, you know, bought some bikes and paid for some expenses, even box bands and stuff like that. And, and, uh, you know, that kind of made it possible for me to race, you know, as long as I did for a living and not have to worry about doing anything else. 
was their support. Um, my best years were I was with FNS Suzuki out of Ohio, which is kind of odd, you know, a Georgia boy riding for an Ohio shop. But <laughs> I went up there. I went up there a lot during the winter and raced the marina crosses. So they saw me a lot, and um, you know, they ended up they ended up helping me out. Uh, I think it was ninety nine, two thousand, maybe ninety eight, ninety nine, and two thousand, and that was. Those were some good years because we I had really good equipment and those you know 2000 was my best my best pro year of my career you know I had my best finishes that year so that uh you know kind of the the equipment translated into you know good finishes and then at the same time I had some some guys around here that were you know racing the pro stuff as well and had supercross tracks so that was really the first time I got to practice and, and ride during the week on a track similar to what we were racing on on the weekends. For sure. That's something that became very prevalent in the, uh, the, uh, the in, in 2000 or like early two thousands. Um, what, what was the, uh, what was it like trying to get uh, used to riding supercross, uh, in 1993 on, uh, some, some, some mostly stock, uh, Honda machines that, uh, um, you, you did quite well, all things considered. Yeah, it was pretty tough. Um, yeah, my first my first pro year actually, I turned pro in '92, and I was on a Cowie, and uh, that was a big mistake. We, we <laughs> I don't I don't even remember why we decided to get on a Kawasaki that year, but we did, and uh, and it was a turd, and it, it just it, we had so many problems out of it. I think I only raced my by I think I raced three, four Supercrosses that year, and uh, the Gatorback Outdoor National. And I think out of those handful of races, I only raced my personal bike a couple of times. I ended up riding uh, Timmy Ferry's practice bike more than once at a, at a Supercross, which actually it worked out to be be kind of good because his suspension was set up a little bit better than mine. You know, it was stiffer <laughs> and, and better for Supercross, but but it was kind of roached out from him riding during the week. So you know, but uh. Yeah, I mean, getting ready for Supercross when you don't have anything like that to ride, you haven't really ridden anything like that. Other than, I mean, back then they did have some amateur days that I did get to race. You know, Atlanta, Fulton County Stadium would have an amateur day the day after the Supercross race. So I rode that a few times, and you know, which always was scaled down track, but you know, kind of tamed down. But uh, I went down to Orlando, I think in '91, the year before I turned pro, and rode the amateur day there. So I, I kind of had my feet wet a little bit, but I definitely was, uh, I went into the first round in Orlando that year with high hopes and they got dashed real quick. <laughs> it was, uh, it was definitely a learning experience. Who were, uh, some of the, uh, the local, uh, Georgia pros that, uh, you would have looked up to as you were just about to make into your step into the pro ranks. And, uh, what was, what are some, what were some of the tracks that you felt like you excelled that most at, uh, in, uh, in, in, in Georgia? Uh, um, well, a lot of, I mean, a lot of the names, you know, I've listened to, uh, to the, uh, Keith Turpin, um, podcast that you did and, you know, listening to him and, and, Listen to all the names he was throwing out, or well, some of the same ones. You know, I, uh, I I looked up to Keith. Keith was was somebody that was kind of, I guess, flashy at that that time, and and was fast. And he only showed up here and there. You know, I only got to see him every now and then. And when he'd show up, he you know he blazing fast. And 
wearing the cool gear and looking good. So it was, he was somebody I looked up to, uh, you know, he, he, I hate to say it, but even Jason Assad, I, I, I told him, told him this when we first, uh, reconnected. I was like, you're really, you're really the same Jason Assad that I looked up to when I was younger. Cause like he came from here from California, had the California <laughs> flowing hair, you know, kind of like bleach blonde in it or something, highlights or something it looked like. And, earrings and he was fast and you know same thing wore the cool gear look look cool and and uh and then when i when i finally <laughs> met him again uh you know 20 years later or so and and he he's, he's definitely not that guy anymore but uh but it was funny to uh to, to hear i think i actually i saw a post on facebook uh, on Sean Dukes' Facebook page that Assad had uh, commented on, and that's when I said, "Is this the same Jason Assad from California?" That and and kind of threw all that stuff out there, and he, he's laughed and like, "Yep, but I'm nothing like that anymore." But, uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Like uh, it's a, it's a ma- massive contrast to uh, maybe his uh, competitive days. Still loves the sport uh, at heart, but uh, I guess uh, at, at some point, some some of us have to grow up. Not not all of us, though. Yeah, yeah, and he did a he did a good job of growing up. Um, you know, he he's not not just physically, but he he's done well for himself. So he he looks like he he got out of the sport that uh, was probably going to beat him up, and 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 went the right route, went to school, and did all that stuff. So you know, I look look back on it and wonder sometimes, but you know, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm probably where I'm supposed to be. So. I don't know if I made all the right choices, but uh, uh, probably I'd do it again. I'd make a lot of them again. So you, you've got some pretty serious talent in uh, in, a, in a bobcat as well as a, as a dozer. Where did you hone those skills? Uh, that's all just kind of self-taught um, here over the past, I mean, six, seven, nine years, I guess. Uh, I've been... Once I got out of racing, I went to work for Sunstar uh, Sprockets up in Ohio, moved up there, um, lived there for about eight months, worked that job, and just couldn't couldn't deal with the winters. So had to uh, had to move back to Georgia. And also, they were also about to start sending me to, to the, all, all the Supercross races again and outdoor nationals. And I was like, well, that's kind of why I quit racing and got a real job, so I didn't have to go racing every weekend or go to the races every weekend. So got out of that came back home to georgia worked for a uh, construction company just working in the office doing uh um, all the purchasing and stuff of product or of the material and stuff um that didn't last too long because that wasn't my that wasn't me very much so I, and that about that time was uh when roost mx was was taken off with the graphics and stuff and they called me I, i'd known them for a couple of years prior to that and uh they got me in there to kind of run the, the whole motocross graphics side of things and, and deal with all the riders and the public and everything and did that. And that was good. Did that for a few years and ran a, uh, ran a, a race team, amateur race team out of some shops here in the, uh, in the area. And then after that fell apart, I, I went into the track business and um, that's where I opened or I went down to work with, a buddy of mine that, that raced and uh, his dad had kind of built the track already and it was down in Alabama called Amp MX and um, they were originally going to open it up as a training facility and that's why they were they wanting me to come down and have my input and then you know me to be the trainer 
and uh and which I was kind of up for at that time, but I went down to see what they had, and they were they were nowhere near ready to do anything like that, and I don't think they really knew everything that it was going to entail, so once I kind of laid out everything that was going to be necessary to make that happen, I think the owner and all of us kind of decided that that wasn't the the route to go and decided to open up, open it up as just a practice track and then see where it went. And, uh, it took off, you know, everybody loved it. And it had a really cool atmosphere. The track was good. Dirt wasn't eh, so, 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 um, the layout, but the layout was fun, had some big jumps and everything was safe. And, and I think that's, you know, was key, but we had a really cool atmosphere where we had music play and I, you know, every, every practice we had and, it just was a it was a cool place for people to come hang out and do some riding and uh everybody was pretty bummed on that place went away but it was just some some deals with the land with the owner and his uh partner that owned the land with him but at that point i kind of you know got i guess the track fever and and liked what i was doing and you know i liked running equipment and uh went over to um highland park at that time it was a uh an off, or it is an off-road you know, facility and it has a thousand acres, uh, 80 some miles of trails. And he had three tracks at the time, but they were, they were pretty, pretty bad. You know, I mean, no, no motocross rider really went over there to ever ride them. They were always, you know, pretty hard packed and the jumps were pretty small and, you know, kind of sketchy. So, so he, he brought me in over there to, revamp all the tracks and, and try to you know bring in more motocross business and so that's really um that was the place where i really got to play around with a, a good bit of a equipment and just you know learning a lot of the ins and outs and do's and don'ts and you know and how how i needed to build the jumps and how you know big they needed to be how far they needed to be and you know it was kind of good because i was there full time and i was there every day you know pushing dirt and jump on my bike and ride they also had a ktm dealership there on the property and they gave me a ktm to ride and race and so it was a good deal and i, I learned and i learned a lot at amp amp x and i learned more there on kind of the running of the track business more than more than building building tracks there i guess but um there at Hyde park is where i really was able to fine-tune i guess my skills and and then went on from there just not too long ago. I kind of left from there and went out on my own and started building some private tracks and and built another uh, practice and racetrack down in Alabama called Synergy Cycle Park. And uh, we actually have a race there this weekend coming up. And it's it's been pri- – I mean, I, I've built some pretty cool private tracks here recently, but Synergy is definitely, my, I guess, my prize work. You know, I, I spent – a month down there building it going back and forth from from here to there and uh staying down for a few days at a time and working on it and really made sure it was exactly what i wanted you know i knew everything that amp had and highland park had and what the things that weren't so good with it and i was kind of at highland park i was kind of at the mercy of the lay of the land there and the dirt and with synergy it was just an open field with some rolling hills and the dirt was pretty good, so it was, it was perfect. And uh, so far, so good. I mean, everybody that's been says they love it. Uh, you know, it's just kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's only a bad thing. 
Fair enough. Well, uh, what are some of the elements that you feel kind of make a, uh, a a great track or even a good track an even better track? Is it uh, is it flow? Is it the size of the jumps? Is it the option the option of where where to go on a track? What what are some of the elements that are kind of like a must have non negotiables when uh, when building a track? Uh, I mean, the my biggest my biggest thing, and, and it's kind of my biggest pet peeve when I go to other tracks, is just the flow, like. You know, I mean, you go to Loretta's and it doesn't flow at all and it's rough as crap. And, you know, and they, they kind of, it's kind of the, the thing, I guess, about Loretta's. It's supposed to be, you know, really rough and tough and not easy, but, uh, you know, it's not any fun either. But, you know, everybody goes there just because of what it is, not really for the track. But, um, you know, the so flow is my main thing. Uh, and then the jumps, you know, I mean, everybody wants, even the guys that say they don't want, they don't want big jumps. They still, if you built the track with, you know, very little big jumps, they're all, they're going to be like, well, there's not enough air time, or not, you know, not enough this or that. And so, I mean, you, you got to have some good size jumps and some good air, but at the same time, they got to be safe and they got to be to where you can work up to it. You know, you can bite off a little bit or bite off all of it. And, and that's kind of what I've, try to do is make it to where you have multiple landing zones and options on where to land and then none of them if you come up short or go long is going to kill you and that's not easy to do and court requires a lot of dirt and so sometimes to be able to to make something like that but for the most part i think i've got it figured out and and uh and that's one of the the flow of the track is is something that I worked on with Synergy is and I finished the track. I wrote it and I'm like, okay, no, that's not it. It took another week to kind of fine tune it and make the areas that didn't flow flow better. And I also like to make it to where a track you use the whole track. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to prep a track. It's 20, 30 feet wide and you, you fully prep it. And then at the end of the day, you go around and they've only used five feet of it. Because you know you don't you don't need to go way outside at this this turn or something like that. So it's always you know try to make it to where you can use the far left or use the far right, and you're not going to lose a lot of time. Vice versa, wherever you go, you know make it to where it's somewhat even, and uh, you know so then you got you know plenty of passing and plenty of options. If something gets gets rough, you can move over a little bit. So I think that. The flow, to answer your question, the flow of track, I think, is key. Now, uh, when I had uh, Frank Mann on uh, about, uh, oh, it's got to be almost six months ago now, uh, he had remarked that uh, there was uh, his good friend Jason Assad came back to ra- to riding uh, dirt bikes, and uh, he hit a jump that uh, I believe you uh, uh, were at the controls to construct, and uh, uh, Frank was uh, basically ex- described the uh, the leap as uh, as Jason se- sending it, but without a uh, without knowing what 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 address it was going to so uh, uh can you tell us a little bit about that particular obstacle and uh what basically spelt the demise of uh, of a uh, heroic ret- return to racing of, uh, of mr jason assad who's uh, uh a, a good friend of the podcast yeah um yeah that was that jump what uh, yeah mm, it was uh it wasn't pretty i didn't see the wreck 
thankfully or, or well, yeah, I mean, at least fortunately for him, I didn't see it because that would have been one more set of eyes that did. I think Frank was actually the only person that saw it. But, uh, yeah, the jump was just, it was the early days of Highland Park, and actually the the dozer was broke down at the time. He didn't have a skid steer yet, so all I was working with was a tractor with a plow and a box blade on it. And there was, you know, some hill, there was a hillside and it had some jumps going up it. And I basically was able to make one of, one of the hills into just, it kind of was just a single, but I was able to pile up enough dirt with the, uh, with the box blade and, uh, you know, and round it off a little bit to make a landing that was, right. you know, it was just, it was just a half a jump, you know, cause you could go to the inside and you could, you know, try to jump that and land on the jump. And I mainly, I mean, I did that for me and a couple other guys that I knew were coming to ride that, you know, don't want to jump and land on flat ground. They, they wanted some, you know, a little bit of a downside to land. And, you know, in hindsight, I mean, looking at it once I built it and jumped it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a little sketchy. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, the crowd that was coming at that time, because I, I, I hadn't really promoted it as a motocross track yet. I hadn't really done anything to the track to get people out there to come ride. So I, I didn't really anticipate there being anybody that was going to try the jump that shouldn't be jumping it. But our boy Assad, uh, you know, he, uh, he proved me wrong on that, on that deal. And, <laughs> you know, I think I, uh, I don't know where I was. I think I was off in the woods riding the trails or something at the time that he got hurt or somewhere. Actually, no, we, we had just started construction on, on redoing the track. And, uh, I was down on the, on the lower end on, on another track that we were tying the two together and they were up on the upper track. And I remember, uh, going up there later on you know, I probably missed it by 30 minutes and got and saw that Frank's van wasn't there anymore. I was like, damn, where'd they go? They just, they just left. Didn't even say bye. And then I look at my phone. I'm like, Oh, and listen to the message. And Frank, you know, Frank had left me messages saying, get up here, get up here to help me. Todd went down. And then, and then I get the message. All right, well, we're on the way to the hospital. And I'm like, God, oh, and then, then it was, okay, well, we're not, he doesn't want to go to the hospital. I'm taking him to his house. And then, then you get the story later on from, from Jason. He's like, yeah, ended up going, it's broke. <laughs> it's like, man. So, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't witness the whole pants dropping pants on the ground deal, but, uh, I, I heard all about it and, and Jason makes sure every time he tells the story, he lets everybody know what happened. So he's not too ashamed of it, I guess. He wears it with honor, but uh, it, it's uh, it's a it's no small feat to come back to uh, uh, to a sport that as gnarly as motocross, especially after uh, some time removed. Hey, everybody! This is Jimmy Button, former factory Supercross rider. You're listening to the Big MX Radio Show. We're gonna take it to a commercial. And we'll be right back. Justified Cultures is the kind of apparel from the moment you put it on makes you feel like it was made just for you. Quality, comfortable apparel designed for and inspired by the live-what-you-love lifestyle. Woven throughout the moto, desert, skate, and surf culture of Justified is the desire to celebrate human achievement, to inspire and create a modern lifestyle brand reflecting today's generation. Zach Commons, Maddie Jesse, Phoenix Racing Co., Dominique Daffay, Cody Matichuk, and John Short are just a few athletes who don Justified Culture's clothing. 
passion needed a clothing line to speak to the way that it lived each day. So we created Justified Cultures. Navigate justifiedcultures.com to easily view over 40 individual styles to help you make a statement every time you step outside. As presenting sponsor to Big MX Radio, lock in promo code BIGMX17 when checking out at justifiedcultures.com to receive 30% off your Justified Cultures clothing. Express your lifestyle with Justified Cultures. Live what you love. When it's time to turn heads, Spokeskins has you covered. Whether it's dirt bikes, street bikes, or bicycles, nobody does it better than Spokeskins. Mix and match your spokes, or go with the same color all the way around. Either way, Spokeskins is the way to go to customize the look of your bike. Uniting off-road riders on every end of the budget spectrum, Spokeskins is aimed at giving you the custom look without the custom price tag. If you're looking to set your bike apart from the rest of the herd, Turn some heads and be able to change your bike's look on the fly? Head to spokeskins.net. They don't just have spokeskins on their website. They've got more. New products are being added all the time, like the Motul Slacker Digital Sag Scale and just recently, Galfer Off-Road Series Rear Brake Lines, Oversized Rotor Kit, and Front Brake Lines as well. So do what I did. Head to spokeskins.net today, place your order, and get set up turn some heads out there. Spokeskins, we've got you covered. 100% equals everything. When you give everything, you do not save anything for later. Do not relax. Do not take a break to catch your breath. Give everything you've got from start to finish. You leave it all on the track. It is very rare that a logo or saying becomes so strong that Hall of Fame athletes choose to run it without any agents or contracts or business discussed. Question is, how much do you give? If you give 100% on the track, shouldn't your goggles? Whether you choose the Racecraft, the Acuri, the Strata, or the Barstow, 100% Goggles has the right goggle to give you 100% every time you ride. With great accessories like the Forecast film system, endless goggle lenses, 100% Goggles simply can't be beat. You can find it all on www.ride. 100percent.com. That's www.ride100percent.com. Go there and join the 100% family. Racersindex.com is your ultimate race production resource. From the starting line of production to the finish line of winning, Racersindex.com is your go-to resource to be a part of or produce a checkered flag winning event. The professional's place to find work and workers, rides and riders, and more. If you need it to make your race event happen, it's happening at Racersindex.com. If you want to be a part of the racing world, join the Racersindex.com team today. If you need people on your team, you can find them at Racersindex.com. Log on now and find what you need, who you need, and anything needed for two-wheel or four-wheel racing. Log on if you're a mechanic, model, rider, flagger, caterer, sound engineer, team owner, production specialist, or anything related to racing. Find all people, places, and things racing all at racersindex.com. From dirt to the track, from desert to the drag strip, racersindex.com is your ultimate race resource. Click it for your ticket to all things racing. Racersindex.com.
Deft family gloves. Deft means showing cleverness and skill in handling things. What you want to see in football and basketball is some deft handling of the ball. Some people are physically deft, like accomplished athletes. Uh, you yourself have never really spent too much time away from it. It seems uh, uh, an addiction that's uh, stayed strong and true for a long period of time, including uh, a, a almost uh, a 12-year-long professional career, which uh, w- which saw you uh, as a, basically as a full-blown privateer throughout. That uh, that probably spells a lot of um, um, pinching pinching of a lot of pennies and uh, a lot of road trip stories that uh, probably can't be told. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot. A lot of my racing was done with my family, so you know, some. You know, I have some road trip stories to where I went up to Canada, uh, up to your yeah. neck of the woods, and uh, <laughs> and even overseas. You know, I went over to Germany and Chile and uh, some other places. I went over to Greece with Ryan Clark, and we raced. And we so I, so I've, I've been to some places and had some had some fun and some good experiences that you know never would have got to experience if uh if i wasn't racing dirt bikes so you know and there was times where i would be on a train in germany in the dead of winter going through some country land in germany and it's just all you see is snow and hating life at the moment because i hadn't slept in 10 hours because i've been on a plane and couldn't sleep and not don't speak the language don't eat the food and you know just being a debbie downer and then you know kind of smack myself across the face and think, you know, you're getting paid to be over here to race a dirt bike. So you need to snap out of it and, uh, suck it up. So, and, uh, you know, and those, those times have actually kind of paid, I guess, paid, paid the way for the rest of the year. Usually, um, the winter months was, was where I made the most money and kind of had to put that stuff away and try to make it through the, the rest of the year. And, you know, looking back on it, you know, chasing the chasing the supercrosses and everything. I don't know if that was necessarily the right move because you spend a lot of money and there wasn't a lot of money to be made. You know, I mean, I got I got six at the Atlanta Supercross in 2000, and I made I think 440 dollars from the purse money from AMA, awesome. and uh, I think yeah, 900 from Suzuki contingency money and then a little you know 50 here 100 there from from some other sponsors from getting in the top 10 and so so it was not you know even if i had done good you know it wasn't it wasn't a big payday it was more so i guess chasing because i was always somewhat on the brink of you know getting a ride and then and talking to people and things would be coming together and then i would get hurt you know and, and something you know, everything would fall through basically because you kind of out of sight, out of mind. And then you come back, you know, six, eight weeks later and you kind of off pace and you got to pick it back up. And, you know, and then you, it seemed like it was a, a vicious circle uh, always. And that, I mean, that really pretty much was kind of the reason why I stopped. And then 2005, um, and I raced all the supercrosses that year in the 250 class. And, uh, at Vegas at the last round and in the last chance qualifier and during the night show I crashed and broke my foot and uh that was just kind of I guess the, the needle went, went, broke the camel's back I just uh had had enough I guess and I was sitting on the line and that 
that night. I remember my dad, we didn't get much sleep the night before because apparently we were on the floor with a bunch of partiers and they were just running up and down the, the hallway of the hotel and then didn't sleep much. And, um, you know, when you rate back then, you, it was kind of like it is now. You had the heat race semi and then last chance and the semi and last chance are real close together. So you don't have a lot of time to rest. And, and I was just sitting on the bike with my head on the, on the crossbar and dad's like, you sure you want to race this race? Like hell, I got to. I got to try because you, further you finished up in the last chance qualifier, and if you didn't make the main, the further you finished, the more money you made. So, I mean, I had to pay for the trip, so I had to, I had to get out there. I couldn't just take, you know, last place money, which was, I think maybe five hundred dollars, five hundred fifty dollars at the time. But um, so I went out, and you know, it was one of those deals where yeah, probably should have listened to him and just just went back to the truck. Was, actually, I was supposed to. I was supposed to come see you. I was supposed to come up to Canada the following weekend to, to Riviera de Lou really? and race. And uh, I think I had like $2,000 start money deal for that race. And <laughs> so that would have been, that would have been a nice, you know, payday and a nice trip. And I should have just went back to the truck and called it a night and sa- saved myself for that weekend. But instead I went out and broke my foot and, and didn't get to go to, didn't get to go to Canada. So, Wow, man. But, uh, well, uh, that, that's a, a wild twist of fate there. But uh, um, it, it's it's tough to ever make those calls. You you assume you assume that you're always going to be uh, in tip top shape to uh, to do what you love doing best. Uh, amazing to think that you had more start money to race in Canada than your uh, your sixth place at your home Supercross, which, by the way, must have been one heck of a party afterwards. Oh yeah, yeah. That night that you probably night spent a thousand dollars that you made. <laughs> Yeah, fortunately, I had, I had a bunch of friends that were pretty pumped, and uh, yeah, no, I don't think I had to spend a dollar that night. So there you go. It was, right behind uh, Travis Pastrana that night. Yep, yep, yeah. That was uh, that was a good night, and that was you know, I mean, that was pretty much where I kind of belonged. I mean, and that year was a good year. I, I ran, you know, top tens, right around top ten for most of the year, and I think I was in ninth, tenth, and points for a while, and ended up. Uh, grenade in a motor at um new i think in new orleans that year and dnf and and then i ended up crashing in heat race and last chance at the last round and uh joliet illinois that year and not making the main so i kind of dropped i think i dropped some i don't know maybe 15th in points by missing those two mains or not making points in those two mains but yeah yeah the uh, 125 class wasn't a very very big pay payer and i know that that year in 2000, I raced the two. That was the first year I made any 250 mains, and I made the last two race in in Illinois. And then when I made that one, I made like four grand that night. I'm like, well, damn, why am I racing on 25 class? I'm just gonna stay on the 250. And uh, and we were already scheduled to go out to Vegas for the uh, the the shootout, and I was gonna ride the 125 class. But after that. Uh, like, well, hell, I don't need to. I don't need to ride 125 because there's going to be even tougher to make main and make, and do good and make any money out there. Ride the 250, and so me and my dad, with it being a, a kind of a last minute deal, we had to tear my bike down completely um, and put it in boxes and <laughs> Tupperware containers and boxes. And we took my old motorcycle apart and took it on the plane as carry on or not carry on luggage, but as baggage. Yeah and check, checked it all as baggage and uh had to pay i think three hundred dollars for the 
overweight and being, you know, and more, more bags than you were allowed. But, you know, this was pre nine 11. So they, they, it was a little more lenient back then. And, uh, then it worked out. We got out there and got all the, all, all the boxes and everything showed up and on the carousel and picked them all up and went and grabbed the, the van that we had rented and loaded all the boxes, went in the motel, woke up the next morning Dad had had my bike halfway put together and got it all ready and went to practice and raced the race and made the main, got 17th, I think, and uh, won the LCQ that night. And that was actually the first night they had uh, live coverage of a Supercross, and it, but it was on pay-per-view. And, um, and I remember it being on pay-per-view and knowing, like, and I, I had a terrible day of practice, and I think I made maybe, like, three or four laps of practice all day and didn't have the track down at all and went out in the heat race and just tried to like kind of learn the track and get the race pace and then and did so and missed it in the semi by one spot and then going into the LCQ I kind of do I'm like okay I got this I, I win this and or at least get second top two made the main so and I got out second and passed in the lead and 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 won and then I think my, my dad got a little bit of an interview, which was pretty comical. And uh, and then, you know, myself as well. And I, I know that's one thing that Frank Mann has uh, enjoyed posting on Facebook is the uh, screenshot of me doing the interview because I had a shaved head. And I, it, was, it was supposed to be bleach blonde, but it was kind of in the light and everything else. It, it kind of looked a little orangish. And then, my face was beat red from, you know, being so hot and out there in Vegas. <laughs> so it wasn't one of my, uh, my better looking, um, hairstyles, I guess. And so everybody always, always calls me Billy Idol when they see that. But, uh, so it's, it. It, was, it was pretty funny, I guess, to see. But, um, and then at the end, at the end of the interview, after they, they stopped talking to me, I go to crank my bike and, and they, they keep the camera on me for like 30 seconds and I'm sitting there kicking and kicking, kicking, kicking my bike until they finally the camera goes away before I ever even get it cranked. So that was another another one of those deals where you're just like, really? I couldn't just take the camera away. My first <laughs> t- my, one of my one of my first T V experiences and <laughs> ended like that. that thing but, zoomed in on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it is what it is. But I know everybody's had them. So what's your, your, your best Frank man story? The guy is an absolute character, uh, and, uh, uh just a, a good guy to have around. Uh, what, what's your best Frank man story for, uh, for the, for those who, who might know him? Hmm. Good Frank man story. Yeah, I got a few of them. Um, I got one, one that's really popping up is, uh, I wasn't there, but, I was on the phone with him shortly after and, and then a few few more times after that. But it was he he was just kinda of getting we were kinda of talking him into getting more into moto and get away from dodging trees and, and he was kinda of starting to lean that way and but he had he, he was riding a KTM in the woods and then he decided to buy and he had some, some vintage bikes he was right racing and riding and he bought a an R M two fifty and it was kind of done up pretty good. I mean, it had suspension and pipe and silencer and stuff on it. And so he's like, this is going to be my, motor, my motocross bike. Okay. And you're on like five brands, but okay. <laughs> and, uh, and he's at a race 
down in South Georgia, and I think it was a vintage race, but they had a modern class, you know, and he was riding, you know, vintage bike, and he rode his modern bike, and he calls saying, yeah, I broke my collarbone, I think. Uh, I was backing it into a corner. And I'm like, backing it into a corner? I'm like, well, that's road racing. I mean, what are you talking about? Yeah. So, you know, he and a, a, another buddy of ours, Jason Adams, were – we we all three would go back and forth at that time and and me and jason know each other you know a lot longer than frank and i and and we both kind of befriended befriended frank at the same time and took him under our wing trying to to teach him the the motocross ropes so me and jason you know are are corresponding in between the calls from frank and trying to figure out what the hell he did and over the course of the time he, he gets home and gets his wife to take him to the hospital and and he's leaving and, and, or maybe, I mean, maybe he had, yeah, I think he did have surgery and he's leaving the hospital. He's calling me all doped up on pain pills. And he's like, shit. Oh man. I'm in, what did he say? Oh, yeah, he said, he named it Pleasureville. I'm in Pleasureville. I'm like, all right. And, uh, he was just rambling on and on that day and it making no sense at all. Just kind of about like the back of it in. I mean, you know, like when we figured out what he did, he was coming into a corner and just got on the back brakes hard, and, and that's when he, you know, kind of sliding into a corner, and he was what he calls backing it in, and then he ended up, I don't know if he hit a braking bump or or something, and then it just high sided him and pitched him. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good way to go down. And that, that but, is literally backing it in, and that's uh, the, the guy uh, rang his bell a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got him a, a scar on his collarbone to prove it now. So, but you know, he hasn't. He's been pretty. He's uh, been pretty timid here since then. You know, he he kind of he bit off when when I first got done with the track at Highland Park. He came out, me and him, doing a solo test session, and uh, and he. He hucked one of the step-up triples a bit and the biggest one on the track, and it wasn't, like, super big, and it had a pretty long downside, but he just came up a little short right on top, and I guess, and I don't think that it happened from that, but he bounced. When he when he cased, he bounced, and when he bounced off, I think he came off the bike then, and when he landed, he, he got his uh got his ankle or his foot on. I can't remember which it is, but... um. So that's, I think that's really about the only only times he's he's had any bad hits here lately. Um, he's kind of he's found his groove, I guess you could say, and he knows his uh, knows his limit, and you know, he uh, he's gotten a lot better. I know that. Um, we were talking about it the other day that uh, he's come a long way since the first time that he got on a motocross track with us. You know, wasn't wasn't doing a whole lot, and I've I've worked with him a little bit here and there, and. You know, he, he had Timmy Bedour staying with him for a while, and I know Timmy worked with him some. So he's he's come a long way. He still still has some progression to do, hopefully, and maybe maybe he can uh, he can get into Loretta's one year. I don't know. Gotta he, he's pretty stuck on this two stroke thing, and I think that may that may hold him back. But but actually, he actually rides two stroke better than he ever rode 450. So there you go. But yeah, Frank Frank uh, Frank's a character though. He, we we went to a track together this past weekend, so I was I was in the car with him for about four or five hours total. So, 
That's a, a long time to be uh, locked in beside uh, of of all your uh, your road tripping mates uh, over your professional career. Who who did you uh, um, enjoy uh, logging in miles with the most? Uh, I'm sure there's a, a lot of guys that were in, chasing the the dream just like you. Uh, you know, I mean the the best trips I guess that I remember having and, and ones that kind of stemmed out, out of nowhere, you know, kind of budded friendships was, uh, was my overseas stuff, you know, um, went over to, to Germany and, uh, you know, I knew, I knew Jim Nice and I knew Jason Thomas, you know, we, we raced together all the time from, you know, all from the Southeast, but we ended up, you know, all three kind of hanging out and rooming together in some of the races and, we all had the same agent that was getting us the races over there too. So, so we were kind of, kind of together a lot. And, uh, we, we had some good times, the three of us. And then even the other Americans that were over there during those times, we would always, you know, go out after the races and try to stay out of trouble, but getting into a little bit of trouble and got some, uh, some pretty fun, crazy stories from those, those events. And then, um, went over to, uh, Athens, Greece one year and, we ended up ended up rooming with Ryan Clark, and it was funny because it was it was the year it was the winter of 2000, and uh, he and I were battling that whole year we, in the 125 class. We were battling for the ninth and tenth, eleventh place spots and points, and uh, I remembered that all all year. Me and him were just whip, you know swapping every every week it seemed like, and um, and I didn't know the guy. I had never you know spoke two words to him. Just, seen him on the bike, seen him on the track, seen him staging, and that was about it. And um and he was riding for a team with uh on with Tyler Evans. And uh Tyler Evans and I had, had a run in the year previous, so, so we good. weren't we weren't too good of friends and um and they were on the same team, so I kinda was like kinda you know, I guess gave him a bad rap. You get guilty by association a little bit since he was on the same team, so I figured he was out to get me too. So <laughs> So then when I find out from, uh, from my, uh, we, same thing, we had the same agent that got us to race and find out that that's who is coming over there to race. And, uh, that's who I'm going to be rooming with. I'm like, Oh, great. This is not going to be good. And then come to find out he felt the same way about Tyler as I did. And, uh, we ended up, you know, hanging out and having a good time going. We went sightseeing. We, that was actually one of the only times I ever got to go overseas and had like a day to go do some sightseeing and stuff that, uh, and not just come in and try to eat something and go race and get some sleep and then race again and then go catch a plane and come home. But we actually, actually had a little bit of downtime over there. So it was cool and the weather was nice. And, you know, I went and check out the Parthenon and all that stuff. So it was, uh, that was a pretty cool event. And, um, and from there, you know, he and I became really good friends. And, you know, he, after that, every year when he would come to Atlanta for the Supercross, and then even, you know, weeks after that, he would he would come stay with me and he'd kind of base all, all his program here. And uh, we'd do some riding and going to some local arena crosses and stuff in between. So that was, uh, that was I mean, I, I would say that was that was probably one of my, my favorite trips was uh, was going over to Greece and, Clark and I hitting it off and having a good time. So, but um, you know, as far as any of that, I mean, like I said, my family and I did most of the traveling. So, 
um, the, the kind of what you were hitting on earlier about my dad and my dad and me, we, uh, we're pretty tight. It's kind of, I mean, it's really cool. You know, when I, and now, especially now that I'm growing up and, and have kids of my own and, and, and can see it, you know, and, and really appreciate it. And I guess it, it was probably, you know, and I had not like I've just now started appreciating it, but you know, it was, I don't know how many years ago, 10, 15 years ago, when I finally kind of, you know, hit me like, wow, you know, thinking about all the stuff he does and still does for me and how cool it is. And, and that it, you know, I don't know that if I was in his shoes that I would be doing all that stuff. <laughs> and so it just, you know, so all, all those trips and, you know, it's numerous times in the, in a box fan and, you know, he and my mom driving through the night to be able to get back home so they can go to work and, you know, and then I can rest for a day or two before I have to, I have to start riding and training again and then get in the box van and head back out. But, uh, you know, we had some, we had some good times and a lot of, uh, had a few buddies that, that would tag along and go to the races with us. We had, had a time we were all asleep in the box van as it was driving down the road and the, uh, one of the windows was open and we had a bunch of uh, napkins, you know, from fast food restaurant or something all piled up somewhere. And, and the way the, well, the wind was blowing inside the box van, it blew those napkins and they're all flying around. And, and, uh, and one of my buddies, it, we were all three asleep in different, on different couches in the box van. And, and he woke up and he said he, he thought he was in uh uh, I can't even think of the movie, but he, he thought he thought the 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 paper towels or napkins were bats flying around his head and stuff. I mean, he was like, "What the hell?" And <laughs> and then uh, that same box fan, I think it, it, we didn't have heat one time going to St. Louis, Missouri, and we had all the uh, all the cracks, all the door you know jam and everything was duct taped up to try to keep air out because we had no air, you know, heat inside and. Uh, I think my, my dad, mom and dad ended up having to stop at one point and go into a uh, a laundromat to get warm, you know, because of the, the dryers and everything going in there. <laughs> so so uh, we've had some experiences, and I mean, there's too too many to remember all at once, actually. They, uh, they come up here and there in conversation, and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that, and it was some good times, some pretty rough. I'm like, good Lord, just get us home. And then, you know, but now looking back, you know, those were the times that kind of made it, made it all that it was. And the good times made the, or the the bad times made the good times better, I guess. But like like you said, there's uh, no, no regret whatsoever. Uh, Like maybe maybe you'd mentioned earlier that uh, maybe not have, shouldn't have uh, chased it as long as you did, but uh, uh, there's not too many can say that they, uh, they, they rode with the best on the best tracks. And, uh, uh, and at some point probably had some pretty decent uh, motorcycles to, uh, to, to call your own. Um, what, What was your best bike you ever owned as a, as a, as a, as a professional and uh, do any of them compare to the bikes that you ride now? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, my, my best bikes were, were probably that the year that I did best in 2000. Um, you know, we were get F and S was pretty established at the time and got a lot of help from, you know, all of the, the industry companies and stuff. And, I think the first year we rode for them, we had 
pro circuit doing motors and suspension and then the next year i think pro circuit did the motors and rg3 did the suspension and and it was one of those deals it was kind of funny because at the start of the year i would get one bike or you know or a set of bike a 125 and a 250 to do arena crosses and stuff on and uh and then before east coast supercross started i would get another 125 that would turn into my race bike and then I'd make my race bike, my practice bike, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the, the bike that I would get the first year was always good. I mean, both years, both the year that I was the pro circuit did it all. And then the year that the pro circuit and RG3 did it, they were, they were good at the start of the year. But then once supercross got kicked off, you know, my supercross bike was even better, but then, you know, usually a couple of months in, I would get another bike, and that bike, that would be the last bike I would have for the season, and it was always the best. And it's like, and in those years, I was doing, you know, fairly well. So it was like once they saw that I was doing, you know, halfway decent, they'd start giving me a little bit better stuff. And um, but the, those those were probably. The, the best bikes I rode, the RM125s from, from FNS at, at Pro Circuit and RG3 would do. Um, you know, I came up, went up to Canada and raced some, uh, some out, like three outdoor nationals and I rode for Morgan Racing and when they were doing the, the factory Suzuki stuff up there. And I rode an RM250 that, that they had and they gave me, you know, full, uh, I had a set up a full works, you know, a kit stuff. It was suspension. that was really nice. I only got to race that bike actually one race with, with it, everything on it though. So I can't really say that it was, you know, all that. And it was great because I really didn't get to get used to it and ride it very much. But it, it, from what I remember, it was pretty dang good. But, um, but yeah, none of them, none of them went compare now to the four the 450s and four strokes and stuff it's you know it's 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 bad to say and i hate it i mean i had a two-stroke i just sold a couple of weeks ago and you know i got it just to kind of have fun because i rode franks and i was i liked it wow you know and i wasn't really doing much racing at the time i'm like yeah i'll I'll get i'll get a 250 two-stroke and and just use it to to ride because all i was doing was going to you know practice days and riding pretty much and hit a race here or there but and i got it and i loved it i mean i had a good time on it um and then once once i built the track down in alabama synergy it's a little bit faster track than uh than highland park was and stuff highland park was a little more jumpy but um once i built that and then that was about the same time i started kicking around the idea of doing loretta's i was like well you know i'm gonna need a 450 because I weigh 180, 175, 180, 185, and can't. And a two-stroke really isn't isn't that strong enough. I mean, against the four-strokes at Loretta's, it would probably be fine. You know, obviously with with Robbie Rayner doing it on 25, yeah, 250 two-stroke would be fine up there. But you know, all the other tracks down here are just they're built. They're almost built for four-strokes now and built. You know, the, the, you just wouldn't be. I don't think you would be as competitive on a two fifty two stroke. You know, some no, for sure some kids not. would, but but me, I just I, I don't. You know, I ride it hard, but I don't ride it nowhere near as hard as I used to, or as hard as you you need to you to need be to. able yeah. to be competitive with a four fifty. You can just you can 
you can be a little bit more lazy and and make more mistakes, I guess, on a 450. And and I've always been somewhat of a smooth rider and not you know real erratic and hang it hang it out. So the 450, you know, really suits my style. So you know, it's uh, you know, to compare these bikes to those, there's really no comparison, unfortunately. I actually have my uh, my 2000 RM250 that I raced at Vegas. I have it in my basement that um some friends of mine found it i or actually somebody sent it to me um a craigslist ad and said is this your old bike and it was and I talked to the guy and he was wanting too much for it and i didn't you know really put much thought into it but i forwarded it over to a couple of buddies and it's kind of like look at this pretty cool and it had all the same graphics numbers and everything still on it, it was exactly the same and they ended up you know doing something behind my back and surprising me and showing up here with it one day and they got the guy chewed the guy down a little bit and and got the bike from him so i could have it and just kind of put it up and so i have that sitting in the basement and yeah you just looking at it sitting on it it's it's nothing compared to to the bikes of today and you even wonder like ah, how did i jump you know a supercross triple and go through the whoops and everything on a bike like this and it's just it's crazy how you know a bike that's only I got only 16 years old it would would be that outdated looking and you know, but the motor's still strong but it, it, that's about it and it's pretty it's pretty rough looking fair enough man well uh, looking back at uh, a career that's been and now uh, looking forward to uh, many more trips back to the ranch uh what ended up what ended up bringing wanting you to uh to 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 uh, to pursue that and uh, and how how much longer do you think you can keep this up? Hmm, that's a good question. How much longer? I don't know. Uh, I know uh, the track Frank and I rode this past weekend had a lot of flat landers and took its toll on shoulders and knees and ankles and everything. So after those days, it, it's kind of rough. And then I know at Silver Dollar, I actually hit the ground pretty hard in the first turn crash and. Uh, that was the hardest I've hit the ground in a while, and I was pretty sore for for that week after that. But you know, I don't know. I mean, I still still have fun going. I mean, and I think now it's almost more so going and being at the races and just the atmosphere of it and just being a part of it is almost more fun than than the racing itself. Um, you know, even my wife was asking me last weekend at Silver Dollar because I. You know, a plus 40 class was fairly uh, easy, I guess, for me. And, and she was like, well, do you even have fun, you know, going out there and doing that? Because you're not even, you're not even racing anybody hardly. You know, you're not, you're not battling with anybody. You don't want to have somebody that you like battle with. I'm like, ah, I mean, I've, I've done that. <laughs> I did that for a lot of years. I kind of, kind of enjoy going out there and riding by myself and putting, putting the W on the, on the board and, you know, making a little change here and there. But um you know which the vet classes don't pay hardly anything nowadays but at least it, it pays your entry feedback or something like that but but uh yeah as far as the ranch i mean i i went back in 2006 i went back and did plus 25 and uh plus 30 i think i was 30 years old that year and i uh i went two two 24 ended up crashing the last moto hard and uh 
blew, blew the whole week. But um, so I, I went back that year, and then I went, I went, I think three more years after that. And at that point, that was about the time they started bringing in a lot of sand. And uh, the last year I raced there it was '09, and I, I did terrible. Uh, I ended up having to borrow somebody's bike to go because the, that was the year I was running the uh, amateur race race team out of shops here and at that right after the regional the shop pulled the plug on that whole deal and i had to get my bikes back and had no bike and was qualified to go and made the stupid decision to borrow somebody's kawasaki that only rode a couple of times before i went up there and tried to race it and it didn't go so good i shouldn't shouldn't even have went but so at that point i was kind of done with it and uh and done that thing and more so just the training you know i mean because if you go up to the reddish you got it especially if you you have a chance to to be up front you have to be in shape to you know and pretty much just about to as good a shape as we had to be in when we were when I was doing outdoor nationals and um so it, you know it, it takes a lot of dedication a lot of work for at least i mean at least a year really you know ultimately it's what it needs to be this this past year it wasn't that much i didn't i didn't really decide to go until late march and uh and kind of paid the price you know i I was somewhat ready but not fully ready so that's really the that's the hard part about i guess making the commitment to go to go to loretta's and do the whole deal is just you know the qualifiers are easy i mean there it's nothing you know two the motos are four or five laps long so it's nothing nothing hard um, you know, but just being ready to go up there and and go hard, you know, for twenty minutes, which is only twenty minutes compared to the thirty plus two that we used to do, but just some something about that place is just it will it will kick your butt in a matter of two or three laps and you gotta be if you're flowing and working with the track and the bike and everything, it, it, it'd be somewhat easy. But if you're not and fighting it, God, it, it wears you out in no time. And uh, more so than not, you see see guys that get up there and think that they're ready and find out that they're they weren't or they just you know just not flowing not 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 gelling right with the track and the bike and it just takes takes its toll on them and you know you kind of kind of leave with your head hung hung low and it uh it takes 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 a little bit of wind out of your cells i guess i know it, it did me this year a little bit but i kind of kind of figured out some things about my riding and my bike situation right after loretta's and switched brands and got on went back to suzuki's and feel a whole lot better on a suzuki than i did in the yamaha that i was riding last year and uh so i'll probably i'll probably give it another go this year and go up there and see see what I can do. I mean, plus 40 classes. The guys I'm racing with, the guys that are winning it right now are kind of, you know, they're, they're guys that are at my caliber that I could I should be running with and be able to, to race with and, and possibly beat. Now, I think Robbie uh, turns 40 this year, Raynard, so he's going to be in it, uh, I would assume. So that may be, you know, kind of a, <laughs> a tough one to, to beat, but... uh you know, I'd like to give it another go at least. You know, my wife's a little bit more on board with it now. She came up for the first time this year. She had never been before. And uh, when she got up there and saw how big it was and how big of a deal it is and everything, she's like, wow, this is pretty cool. She's like, 
I'm sorry I didn't let you train and ride and stuff as much as you you probably should have. I'm like, ah, you know, it's, it is what it is. And uh, it's like, well, you're gonna you're gonna have to start working. I'm like, for what? She's like, because you're gonna have to come back up here next year and kick some butt. I'm like, so all right, so so now I got the whole family on board, I guess. So we'll uh, we'll give it one more go. Perfect, man. Well, glad to hear it and glad to see that uh, the passion still runs deep. Um, Matt, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show to uh, talk, talk all things moto all the way back from the earliest days up to uh, uh, just this last weekend at Silver Dollar. Um, like I said, really appreciate you giving me some time. Uh, for those who uh, want to keep more tabs on, on you, where can you be found on social media? Uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Uh you know, Facebook Matt Shoe. I have my my track building business is on there. It's called uh, MX Two Hundred One um, Motocross Track, or what is it? Motocross Construction and uh, Design and Construction. Sorry, good Lord, I can't think of the whole, the whole name. And then Instagram, I'm on there at uh, Shoe Two Hundred One. Twitter's the same. I really don't get on Twitter any, but uh, Instagram and, and Facebook mainly. And uh, I know the guy at Synergy, the, the owner there. He he's uh he's on me right now about making a website for my my track building and stuff. So I think over the next couple of weeks, I'll possibly have a website up for that. So that possibly will be mx two hundred one dot com if if the domain's out there. Fair enough. So and uh, and just so just so we're all on the same page, you you feel like Jason Assad should give uh, give motocross one more crack or what? Yeah, I'm gonna be friendly to Assad and go ahead and say no, no. He, he's he's probably doing what he needs to do and staying on the couch and eating some hot dogs and bonbons and yeah. making money. Um, you know, and roll rolling up at Silver Dollar in his Escalade with his you know photo mohawk going and everything. So you know, it's it's the way. That's the way he needs to probably stick stick to it. Just be the be the guy be the guy behind the scenes again. So instead of out there i think uh i don't i don't think we can talk him into getting out there again anyway so i thought you said you're gonna be nice to him (laughs) (laughs) well i'm being nice to him by saying not not taunting him to get back out there i don't yeah i don't uh i don't think he needs to be back out there he he had his he had his fun with it i don't think i think his wife kick all of our butts too if he if we let him get back on a motorcycle fair enough well, Matt, it's it's been a pleasure. I really ha- uh, appreciate you giving me some time. Don't hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we'll cut it off right there. All righty. Thank you. Awesome. Great uh, great interview there, Matt. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, good times. And yeah, I know that there was a, a lot more stories that probably could come to mind over the course of another conversation. <laughs> there's, there's a, that's the thing. There's too many years, too many uh, too many stories running through the mind. For sure. Well, one one of these days, uh, I'll have to uh, call up uh, Jason and, and get the two of you guys uh, swapping stories and stuff like that, and then uh, uh, and then 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 the gold really come out. Oh yeah, yeah, that'd be good. And then you know, even stuff like I know we didn't get into it, but I know when I first turned, I jumped to the A class here locally. I was fourteen, fifteen years old, and uh, just so happened the the night that I decided to do that, Keith Turpin and Sean Dukes both decide to come out of retirement so to speak and start racing you know a class locally <laughs> so so i had to kind of grow up racing you know for money against against those two and uh 
So yeah, I had had some good some good battles with Keith and Sean both. So and that was kind of cool, you know, with Keith being one of my idols growing up, and then getting to race him, and then finally getting to beat him. So it was pretty good. <laughs> no doubt. That's cool. Eh? It's uh, to, to to finally get to the the expert class and and have uh, those guys that you looked up to when you were on sixties uh, and eighty fives, uh, have them still there and uh, and be able to, to dice it up with them. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. Right I was on, young, man. so I was kind of, I guess, the reason why I was able to get in there before they they were too old and, and done with it. But, but yeah, it, it was cool. It was fun to do. Well, right on. Well, uh, I'm going to get to editing this so I can uh, kind of throw throw some commercials in and uh, and get it all ready for uh, for later this evening. I should have it posted uh, in the next uh, maybe probably, maybe like an hour or two hours or so. Should have it posted, and I'll send you a link as soon as it's done. Okay, sounds good. All right, you have yourself a great one. All right, man, you too. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Yep. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Radio Podcast. Brought to you by 100% Goggles. Be sure to head to Ride 100%, that's R-I-D-E, 100-P-E-R-C-E-N-T.com to check out all available product, goggles, and a full rundown of the company itself. Also make sure that you check out RacersIndex.com to register and find yourself an industry job If you're a mechanic looking for a job or if you're a rider looking for a job, go to racersindex.com. As always, thank you guys so much for listening and contact me at bradgebhart88 at gmail.com for any suggestions or review or feedback. Always appreciated. Thanks again for listening. Another day is nearly done A darker gray is breaking through a lighter one A thousand sharpened elbows in the underground That hollow hurried sound Feet on polished floor And in the dollar is closing up and counting loonies trying not to say I hate Winnipeg The driver checks the mirror seven minutes late The crowded rider's restlessness enunciates Guess who suck? The Jets were lousy anyway. The same route every day, and in the turning lane, someone stalled a game. He's talking to himself, and hears the price of gas repeat his phrase. I hate Winnipeg.
Leaning into sky A golden business boy Will watch the north end die And sing I love this town Then letters our king wrecking ball proclaim Winnipeg